Cyber Synapse, the podcast that's creating connections through candid conversations about cyber issues. Sponsored by Agency, with your host, Kath Nibbs. Welcome to Cyber Synapse. Today, I'm joined by Justin Sherman, who's studying computer science and political science at Duke University. This is focusing on cyber security, cyber warfare, and cyber governance. He's a cyber researcher at North Carolina State University's Laboratory for Analytical Sciences, where he works in the US Department of Defense, National Security Agency, and others in the defense and intelligence community on issues of cyber and national security. He writes regularly regularly for numerous blogs, journals, and news sites on cyber security, cyber policy, and technology ethics. His latest paper, Practical Human Security, is coming out in roughly a week in Cybersecurity Trends magazine. Now, for those people who are signing in and listening to this, um, I am absolutely stoked to be talking to somebody who has all of this information in their repertoire. So to begin with, Justin, why do you do what you do? Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, excited to be here. Um, why do I do what I do? I've, I've always been interested in technology. Um, and obviously at the pace of things today that's moving very quickly there's always new stuff to learn and so sort of from an intellectual side it's always been able to to keep me hungry and and well fed in that sense Mm. Um, but as I grew older taught myself how to program and kind of looking around at at the technology world around me um, there seemed to me to be a lack of discussion not only about how these technologies were impacting the world whether that's in terms of security or ethics or psychology Mm. But there also seemed to be a lack of intersection. There seemed to be a lack of intersection, kind of like some of the discussions we've had before between neuroscience and the brain and artificial intelligence. Mm-hmm. There seemed to be a yeah. lack of discussion between software design and ethics, between policy and cybersecurity. So really, um, my interest currently is figuring out where we can intersect different fields to really maximize and make sure we're keeping technology safe, we're keeping it secure, yeah. um, and we're really using it for the best things possible. Yeah. Oh, yes, 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 yes. So uh, <laughs> I'm already sparking off like about 40 <laughs> different questions just did. So where, where do I even start? Okay. So if we go back to kind of the, the intersection of the, the disciplines, where, where do you see this intersection uh, occurring and what, what kind of disciplines do you see would be the most helpful? Yeah, so um, so I, we, can, we can branch into sort of a lot of conversations off of that point, obviously. Um, some of the work I do is, is looking at technology ethics, so, so we can talk about that in a minute. Yeah, um, yeah. But I'll start with uh, my most recent paper that you mentioned, Practical Human Security, um, which, I, which I wrote with a friend over in Greece, and what we do is we broadly take uh, cyber psychology research um, from Dr. Mary Aiken and others in the field, and also take work in the decision sciences and behavioral economics, and apply that to how we teach people about cyber safety and cyber security. Mm-hmm. So if you look at the field, right, there's obviously a lot of literature, it's well thought out, but in terms of how that security and safety stuff for the internet, for your phone, whatever that might be, in terms of how that's taught to people, we're kind of neglecting all of these basic fundamental principles about how people learn, retain, and use information. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so kind of what we try to do is look at things like effect heuristics, representativeness, availability heuristics, look at these cognitive biases that humans have when making decisions and say, okay, we're not going to be able to change these. This is, a, this is a, 
excuse me, these have existed for, for hundreds of years. Um, but we do have all of this stuff. So how can we teach that to you? How can we give this to you in a way that's maximizing the way you make decisions so that most of that stuff isn't falling out of your head the minute you leave a training session? Yeah. 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 I do find, um, so I'm just going to uh, just talk numbers a second in, in yeah. terms of the amount of information that's out there. Uh, each day, everybody has um, like a finite number of um, decisions they can make. Uh, and almost what what is happening is this, this plethora of information seems to be kind of taking over. So I can kind of see that the, the premise behind this is let's make the, uh, the education uh, accessible but not in the way that we you know I'm just thinking about education that we have a very rote learning system so most people tend to switch off uh, with the IT stuff I don't know if, if it's the same way you are but as soon as you say cyber and then follow it up with another word um, you can yeah. see people yawning glassy eyes yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah precisely precisely so how, how, how do you get around these cognitive biases so for just for listeners that just means uh, what you were talking about earlier is the brain is very, very lazy and it will, it will take um, information and make pretty much standard um, stereotypical um, decisions. Uh, and obviously for those that are really interested, I'd go and have a look at um, uh, Daniel Kahneman's stuff for how, how the brain actually gets into doing this. Um, so I'm just thinking about how you teach that, Justin. How yeah, you yeah. Biases. Um... Another, another great book I'll just interject is uh, Richard Thaler and Cass, Sun, uh, Cass Sunstein's Nudge, um, yeah. which is not from the neuroscience perspective, but looks from the economics perspective. Mm -hmm. um, so one example, like you said, these heuristics, which normally um, are a good thing. They, they help us make decisions faster. They amplify the rate at which we can retain information and use it. Um, so one of, these, one of these, just to use one example, um, is the frequency and availability heuristics. So we tend to think things we hear more frequently are generally the case. So a good example is, um, I think is terror attacks actually. We hear a lot about terrorism in the news, for example, and because of that, we take something that relative to, in the United States, gun violence or car crashes or you know, medical conditions is statistically insignificant, but just because we hear about it so often, we think it happens more. So that's a prime example. Yep. That, <laughs> that, sorry, <laughs> sorry, that has just tapped into the conversation we've just had about this, this um, narrative that's appearing at the moment around social media addiction, gaming addiction, and the most recent one, which I've just had a little bit of a chelp about, the um, <laughs> playing violent me uh, video games results in mass shootings. So I shall... Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So normally, so in a lot of situations, the, this cognitive bias... Um, while it is a bias, can be helpful. We Things we practice regularly, routines we go through, they become easier and lighter on our brain. Mm. Um, but one of the effects when we're teaching about technology, for instance, um, is that we might spend a lot of time talking about technology's benefits and very minimal time talking about ethics or security, just to give two examples. So yeah. while people are aware that these issues exist, they walk away in their head thinking that 98% of technology is good and then 2% is reserved for the iffy areas. Um, and then within, you know, security specifically, to bring it back to, to my paper you asked about, um, we might spend a lot of time teaching people how to make a strong password, right? Because that's something that's difficult. It might take a lot of explanation on how to manage all of these passwords. It's a complete pain, obviously, to have yeah. a thousand logins. 
Um, but really, people are actually at a much higher risk of being tricked into clicking a link in a phishing email than they are of having their password brute forced. But because we spend more time on the password, people naturally assume that most of the risks are gonna come from a password and they pay much less attention to what's coming into their email inbox. Um, so that's just, you know, so that's just one example. Um, I'm not gonna go on too long here. That's just one example of how we can take a look at security and tech training in general and say, how can we reorient it so things are, are sort of in proportion? Mm. Yeah, to, to be honest, Justin, this has appeared in at least two other podcasts because we've talked about, um, uh, so there, there was a, um, a meme going around on Facebook, but it wasn't actually a meme, it was a, a, a real thing that was happening, which was people, people are being bought password books. You know, it's, it's a pen and paper, and then what they do is they carry their password books around, and I'm going, A, you know, wow, that's, that's just asking for trouble. But secondly, <laughs> uh, we're, we're in a... We're in a um, I mean, I'm, I'm quite astounded, actually, when I do get some of the phishing emails and I look and they've been, um, uh, they, they come from maybe Apple or some of the banks over here. And, yeah. and they're really quite clever. Yeah. I, I've, I've kind of noticed what I do is I check which email account it's gone to. So I, I generally keep an eye on, has this come via one, for example, via my website, which means it's got to be a spam email in terms of if it's if it's from iTunes, so for example. I, I, iTunes don't have my website details, I don't have their details, et cetera, et cetera. Right. But quite often when they do look pretty kosher, I will I will always click on the email sender to see who it is and just kind of, you know, have a bit of a chortle at whose whose email does not look like anything from Apple. And uh, I've got into um, arguments with my bank in this country where they phoned up and they've said, blah, blah, blah. Could you give us your date of birth or could you do? And I've said, not on your Nelly. <laughs> and and they, they, they get into this place, but, but we're calling you. And I've said, no, not on your Nelly. I don't know that you're who you say you are, even though you're ringing from the number that looks like it might be my credit card or bank or insurance company. And, and there's almost this, um, you end up in this uh, um, kind of Mexican standoff where nobody, nobody now knows what to do. But I'm, yeah. I'm kind of protecting my uh, security, my information in the best way that I can. And I've, I've seen and heard people giving out this kind of information over the phone. So I, I think it's, it's pretty much, we've been doing this for a long time, being uh, scammed and spammed for a while. So right. it, it's kind of transgressed over into the, the internet system, hasn't it really? The cyber, yeah. the cyberspace. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's much like many other things. It's, it's not new in principle. It's just the method yeah. of execution. Yeah, it's scalable and it hits many more people. It's much more constant. So yeah, precisely. Yes. So is there kind of a particular age group that you you find you need to teach more than others? <laughs> um, quite frankly, it depends on what you're teaching. So uh, one of the things I've found talking to a lot of people in the legal profession, for example, mm -hmm. um, you know, as we see increasingly artificial and well, really machine learning not AI, so machine learning being used yeah. to help in e-discovery, things like that, um, is I spend most of my time combating the idea that technology is objective. So teaching about how algorithms can be mm -hmm. flawed, algorithms can be racist, can be sexist, can be homophobic, believe it or not. Um, and so, so that's just what, you know, lawyers, I spend some time on that. If I'm talking to 
uh, business people or people in security, I don't have to spend time obviously talking about hacking, but mm -hmm. I, I spend most of my time talking about the psychology and talking about how to effectively educate and train people. Um, policy people, it is the security. It's saying you can't just buy 10,000 IoT devices and hook them up to an electrical grid and hope nothing bad happens because you are waiting for <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. a, a major national security and public safety crisis. So um, it yeah. really depends on the audience, but, but obviously as, as we've discussed many times, there's just so much to teach about that sometimes it's hard to find where to start. Uh, yeah, and I'm I'm going okay, right. What what do I, what do I want to, what do I want the listeners to listen to at the moment from that massive amount of information? So right. <laughs> you mentioned um, machine learning, and I wonder if if that might be um, quite an interesting conversation to have because I know that um, I I spend a lot of time trying to explain to people no 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 an algorithm doesn't make no 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 that's not what that no 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 no. So I'm just thinking about, would you like to kind of expand on that at all? Or would you like to talk about, um, oh my goodness, you did, you'd mentioned the ethics. <laughs> what, what would you like to talk about, Justin? We, Let's can, we, can, we can start with machine learning um, and then through bias, we can actually transition into ethics. So that works perfectly. Yeah, okay. Um, so, so machine learning is, is, uh, is very interesting. I, I laugh almost um, seeing how often it's used, I think, just to attract funding from from large investors right my company uses machine learning for this my company uses machine learning for this mm -hmm. um and i suppose you could argue this with many fields but but oftentimes i i read a lot of the research and it just seems incredibly duplicative um but that's that's kind of a personal tangent um mm -hmm. so so machine learning really is kind of what it sounds like it's taking sets of information and teaching a computer to independently learn things about that information so why this is different from a normal quote unquote computer algorithm is a normal computer algorithm will do a standard take in A, output B every single time. So this could be I log into my banking website, I hit login, I want it to return a web page. I hit show balance, it's going to calculate how much interest I've earned and show it back to me. Basic things in and out, it's the same thing every time. Machine learning is a little more adaptive. So it's giving a computer something like a set of 100 photos and 50 of them are of cats and 50 of them are of dogs. And so we give it to the computer and it performs all kinds of analyses on this, on this picture. It figures out what are the color schemes, what are the ratios of the animal's face, all kinds of stuff. Mm. But at the end of the day, once this, this machine learning model, we call it, is finished being developed, um, we're able to send in an input and it can, on its own, independently say, this is a cat, or this is a dog, or I don't know what this is. Yeah. Um, so that's that's kind of in a nutshell what machine learning is, and obviously it takes many forms, and there are different types. But um, but that's why it's so interesting, is you can use it for everything from facial recognition in a hospital. Say if an ER patient comes in, we want to pull up their records if they're passed out or unconscious or something. All yeah. the way to we can analyze cancer cells to figure out um, if you're at risk of a tumor. We can look at the wireless traffic in a computer network and see maybe has the hacker gotten in? Is there some unusual activity we wanna look at? We can look at uh, news clippings quickly and say, okay, kind of what are people talking about? And the computer can give me back information. So there's really a whole range of, of applications that machine learning has. Um, but but I think that, that concisely summarizes it. Yeah, okay. So what I'll do is I'll give you um, my 
my um, psychotherapy interpretation of this. So when, I, when I'm actually talking to some uh, clients or I, I talk to people in the, the IT place, what I talk about is we have um, a biological concept called the polyvagal theory. Um, and, and in short, what it means is that your, your brain is constantly monitoring the information flow in and out of the, the base of the brain through an area called the cerebellum. And what it does is it kind of says, okay, is there a hacker? Um, what am I learning about this particular image? Is it a dog? Is it a table? How do I kind of generalize from that? What do I do with this information? So pretty simply, we're talking about machines that are beginning to behave akin to a, a human brain rather than the, the analogy we often use, which is that um, it is the other way around. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. Um, and so really machine learning, when you're talking a little more technically, we call it a neural network yeah. Is, yeah. is kind of the modern, as, as you know, but, but for the listeners, you know, is kind of the um, modern implementation is really doing what you just said is on a very high level, obviously, because we, we still have many things we don't understand about the brain, um, just yeah. abstracting all of these different connections and figuring out how it's not what we usually do with computers where it's A to B and that's it. We're linking A to B to C to B and everything is a, is a huge graph. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I, did, I did try to simplify that for my second book at the moment and I've had to go really, really, really back to basics. Because um, uh, one, one of the theorists who writes about the brain is, is somebody called Joe Dispenza. So I tend to use his phrase of neural nets. And, okay. uh, yeah, so I, I'm just thinking about what you've said there and how I've tried <laughs> to simplify it. I don't know whether I've achieved it yet. I'll have to have it proofread. But. Yeah, so, so that's, you know, and, and your point about the brain and kind of the convergence there um, this is one reason I'm a little hesitant and, and tell people to realize that machine learning and artificial intelligence are actually two different things. Mm -hmm. Because machine learning is our current technique of analyzing all this data and making all these connections, whereas artificial intelligence, um, broadly speaking, refers to any way in which we artificially create intelligence. So technically, well, I mean, there's, there's dispute within the community, but technically we could even say that a human whose brain is massively enhanced by pharmacological drugs is artificially intelligent. So there, there's kind of a broad application. Mm -hmm. um, but the second reason I say this is because machine learning today is very good at domain or task specific things. So if we say, is this Justin's face? It does a very good job of that. If we say, look at this cancer cell and give me a likelihood of melanoma, it is very good at that. Mm -hmm. But I can't tell a machine learning model okay, uh, solve this problem for me, or how much money should I invest and in which stocks? Or I have a patient who has this condition. What it, so, so we're still getting to the point where um, we have the design knowledge and also the computing power to do these broad tasks. And there's a lot of debate on, will that be in five years? Will that be in 50 years? Um, but that's just sort of an important distinction to keep in mind is that Machine learning is a form of AI, but it, it doesn't entirely encompass what that means. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I, again, as you were talking, I've gone into my, um, into my own head at the moment thinking, okay, so what, how, many, how many of the listeners are going to be going, oh, this is really interesting, but also how many of the listeners have been aware that this, this uh, machine learning has actually resulted in um, upgrades on, for example, the phone? So as you were talking, I was just thinking, actually, this is how it recognizes selfies on the iPhone. Yeah, 
and, exactly. and many many and I'm just thinking about how subtle this has been but also how quickly it appears um, so for example you you have a software update on your iPhone and the next thing is is you've got these folders that's got selfies in it and most people go oh that's really clever right without kind of thinking about what went into that right. the, the whole production of that for to, for it to be rolled out as a, an upgrade Precisely. It, it seems like magic sometimes, and really it's, it's mm. just all code. Um, yeah, yeah selfies, selfies on the iPhone, having a facial recognition camera unlock your laptop, machine mm -hmm. learning algorithms. When you go on Spotify or Pandora and you have recommended songs, that's machine learning. When you go on Netflix and they tell you what shows you'd like, that's machine learning. When you go on YouTube and see recommended videos, when you go on Facebook and see news articles you might like, all of that is machine learning. Machine learning is around us all of the time. It yeah. is constantly analyzing our data. It is constantly looking at our behavior and trying to, uh, you know, depending on who's using it, either garner new insight into what we're doing or make money off of us or, you know, different things. But it's, it's really everywhere. Yeah, You're absolutely right. <laughs> I'm just thinking there's two, two things popped in my head then. One was I did a podcast with somebody who was um, quite, quite opinionated in, in terms of uh, what he said about um, some, some of the things. But he actually said towards the end of the podcast, one of the things he likes to do is get his computer, completely delete it or, or start it all over again. And then what happens is he starts to notice that the emails that he gets will be for Russian brides or something, because actually... The, the system doesn't know enough about him to, to tailor the emails yes. or the smart shopping and so on. And I was just thinking about how amusing that actually is. But today, I think when I came to, to send you a message, I went on LinkedIn, clicked on something, and it popped up with a message. When you like a post, we use this. To, and I just laughed and thought, well, have I not been using LinkedIn for many years? What, why are I you saw that yesterday. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so as much as it is around us all the time, actually it then depends on what we're doing. So I'm, I'm aware my Facebook feed is, is, has a particular uh, framework and so does my Twitter feed. And so that, uh, because I'm, I'm aware that I behave very differently on different right. platforms. So, so it's, it's kind of like, okay, so what am I going to get sent to my inbox this week that I possibly need to be buying that, that says, you know, oh, by the way, based on your based on your recent searches, we thought you might be interested in this, you know? Right, right. And, and you know, to segue back to ethics, this raises what you just mm -hmm. said, two very, I mean, many questions, but really two categories generally of ethical questions. And so the first is that, yes, um, using Facebook, LinkedIn, right, we get use of these quote unquote free services, right? Yeah. Yet, even though I'm not paying to use it, these companies are worth tens of billions of dollars. So when their profit model is based on tracking information about me and selling it back to advertisers, mm -hmm. now you could argue, you could argue lots of things. You could say that's totally fine. You could say we consent to it. You could say that you want a royalty for how much did. So that raises sort of one category of interesting questions. Um, the second category, which I think you touched on perfectly with personally curated social media feeds is that these algorithms can then become biased depending on what we teach them. And so that's something important to know is that, you know, my point that technology is not objective is that te technology doesn't understand, computers don't understand anything until we teach them. And because we are biased, we are inherently going to be putting that bias into code. So a perfect example is, is over in the States here. 
um, there are many courts that use machine learning algorithms to recommend prison sentences once someone's been convicted. Um, so these are quote unquote black boxes, right? We don't really know mm. how these computations are being performed, but they have done studies. And what we do know is that these are massively, massively biased, racist, if you will, towards black Hispanic men, towards people who have less money, right? So that's not because a computer wakes up one morning and says, I want to put this kind of person in prison for longer. Yeah. It's because as humans, right, we already have these biases in our society. We're aware these biases exist, right? And so we look yeah. at that and we say, oh, you know what, maybe we should be understanding, maybe we should mitigate, or we at least have a conversation about it. The computer sees it and takes that as fact. And so it says, okay, this group is committing crime or, or this group doesn't want to see news articles of another political bet. So I'm going to completely cut them off. And now we have two echo chambers. So there are lots of forms this bias can take, but, um, mm. but that's, that's a whole ethical conversation in and of itself. Yeah. I, what just popped in my head then, Justin, was I wonder what the Me Too hashtag will have done to those kinds of biases actually on the, on the systems. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting to think about that. Um, and I think there have been a couple of perfect examples. Microsoft, I think it was Microsoft's Twitter bot from a few years ago. Um, several of these companies have made chat people or fake profiles with machine learning based off of what people say on social media. And oftentimes they will spew racist or misogynistic or even just hurtful, insulting comments every once in a while, not necessarily all the time. Um, yeah. But, but that's to your point, that's kind of an interesting observation is that, again, this is a perfect example of how the technology in and of itself is not trying to insult someone or offend someone or make them feel uncomfortable or unsafe online. But because they take our behavior as fact, because they take our biased or sometimes offensive behavior as fact, they think that's normal and how to behave. And so these are the kinds of things we need to be thinking about both in terms of the code and also just philosophically and ethically. Yeah. So, so I, 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 again, I'm sitting, uh, so my head's whirring as it, as it usually does <laughs> when I start talking. Um, there is something about, I was just thinking, one of the things that I'm doing a few podcasts on at the moment have been around um, pornography use. And uh, one that I did with a lady was talking about the misogynistic kind of approach. Uh, so aside from the fact that pornography is uh, inherently misogynistic, the, the categories that appear on the, on the front page of the websites are going to be steered by some of these biases, aren't they? It's, it's going to be, um, so we will start to show what we think the, the viewers want to see based on a lot of the comments that are coming through. So I'm just thinking about how that's going to have an effect on um, the, the, the access to pornography and how that will come. Yeah, I'm, I'm just kind of doing a little bit of thinking here. Yeah, yeah, no, it's, it's definitely interesting. And the point you raise has come up with discussions about sites like Facebook where um, there are issues raised, like you said, perhaps, perhaps uh, overstated or exaggerated. But there are issues with addiction. There are issues with increased suicide and depression, things like that, um, which, which they're taking good steps to address. But the point being, there are interesting conversations already saying what you brought up of you know, the company might argue, you know what, we weren't even thinking like the algorithms were just giving people what they wanted. And, and yeah. they're designed to maximize retention on the platform or designed to maximize whatever the goal is. And so if somebody enjoys viewing the same political articles, we weren't trying to create an echo chamber. That was just what mm -hmm. happened. We, we knew that would keep them online. So to your point, so you could, you could 
easily apply the same abstraction to pornography where they're saying, okay, well, we weren't necessarily trying to promote a certain kind of content or to normalize, you know, behavior that's normally that we socialize against or that might yeah. even be, be associated with, you know, some sort of clinical condition. Um, we were just giving people what they wanted and this was getting the most clicks. And so we put that at the top. And so, and so much more online than ever before, uh, we kind of have this, these interesting questions of does, does the free market demand, does this popular demand for illicit or questionable or unethical content, does that justify its mm. projection to the masses? And I think, I think that's a central thing we have to think about going forward. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I'm I'm kind of just thinking about the the level of um, let's call it banter. So a a while ago I did a um, a blog post on but the difference between banter and bullying, but also what banter actually is and where it belongs. And I'm just right. thinking about some of the some of the terms that get used in in banter are are really homophobic, um, misogynistic, um, you know, an, anti men, anti women, anti this, anti that. It, it could be any fr any framework. And I'm, I'm just thinking about machine learning doesn't necessarily understand the subtleties of whether it was intended as a joke. It will just literally learn these patterns and use those in the algorithms. Right. And, and so in addition to the concern of that in and of itself, again, I go back to one, people will look and they'll just say, this is objective. That's, you know, they won't yeah. assume there's any bias going on. And two is that these things are projected all across the world, right? How many of us mm -hmm. rely on a single company like Google or Facebook to manage so much of our information? Alibaba, if you're, if you're in Asia, perhaps. But, but the point's still the same. And, and there's a great TED Talk, actually, um, which maybe you can, you can link in the podcast description, but uh, given a couple years ago by an MIT researcher, and she's black, uh, top of her field, works in machine learning. Yeah. And so she was there getting her, I don't remember if it was her PhD or her postdoc or what it was, but she was at MIT and she went in front of a facial recognition algorithm and it didn't recognize her face as human. That was entirely because of her skin tone, just because, and again, it wasn't them saying she's not a person. It was just the nature of all of the people in the lab were not her race. And so yeah. the pictures they gave the computer were not. So that was an issue. And she, you know, she addressed that at the lab and they fixed it. And a little while later, she flew to Japan because she, she is a top researcher. I think it was Japan. Um, but, but again, you know, to Asia. And, and when she got there, it was the same algorithm. And they had not fixed it. So again, it was a repeat. So, so not only, right, do you have this, you know, like you just said, do you have this in one spot? But it's this permeation where that model is going to be sent out to 50 states in, in the United States to be used in their sentencing algorithms. It comes from one place. That yeah. one Twitter bot that you just said, you know, right, has homophobic or misogynistic tendencies will be used all across Twitter. It doesn't vary person mm -hmm. to person, it's ubiquitous. So, uh, so yeah. Yeah, I, I'm, I, uh, wow, I'm just sat thinking, yeah, this has a huge effect on, on human beings right the way across the world, doesn't it? So I'm just thinking about um, so some of the, uh, some of the information that we're covering is, is, is really kind of macro as well as the micro. So right. I'm just thinking about where, where to go next in terms of <laughs> where we're going with this. So again, yeah, I think what I might say, uh, I know it's a little bit shouty then because I'm getting excited, is, uh, the ethics. The ethics yeah. of, um, and this happened to be something that happened to me a couple of weeks ago. I phoned up for whatever company it was and it said, did I want to use voice, voice recognition for, 
And I thought, my God, I don't even get a choice anymore. It's getting to the stage where it says, this is the new way to protect you. And I thought, how so? How is that? So I'm just thinking about the, uh, the facial recognition and where, where that could actually be used positively. So mm -hmm. opening your own laptop, but mm -hmm. also in, in terms of where, where it comes into uh, faults, where it can be used negatively. Uh, yeah, what, what yeah. a big question I've probably just thrown at you. Yeah, so, so things like unlocking your phone, right? The iPhone X which you are, or iPhone 10, which you already pointed out, yeah. is, a great, is a great convenient everyday way. It's secure, right? But it's also convenient. And that's a great example. Um, another yeah. one people are starting to look at, which I referenced before, would be I wheel into the ER and rather than, <clears throat> you know, try and wake me up and ask me my name or a hysterical relative, you know, we're thinking of an extreme situation here, but they can just put a camera over my face and boom, they can pull up medical records. So those are, those are two great examples where facial recognition could, could be really beneficial for people. Um, two, two counter examples to that point. Uh, the first thing is, is with police body cameras. One thing that's been discussed a lot is building a national database where police cameras can automatically look for the faces of missing children. So obviously, this is fantastic, right? We, you know, there's an Amber Alert or there's some yeah. sort of alert for a missing or exploited child. We, a police officer, without even knowing that that kid is missing from four hours away, the camera will say that, you know, um, make sure that kid gets to safety. So that's a good thing, right? But mm -hmm. when we think of it, think back to the TED Talk and how algorithms, because we don't train them as well, for example, on black faces or, you know, whatever race, they might not have as fine-grained an understanding. So if we take that mm. missing child application and abstract it to maybe looking for people who have an active warrant on them, if we don't effectively train that algorithm to recognize nuance in people's faces, it might see a certain race or a certain gender or a certain kind of face and immediately just assume it's the same as a criminal and in effect increasing harassment because now a cop is being told every five minutes, oh, that person's criminal, that person has a warrant, that person has a warrant. Yeah. Um, and, you know, if you want to take it, I know we, we talked about uh, very out there, kind of the warfare angle a few weeks ago, uh, back and forth on LinkedIn, but you can even okay. think about this on the battlefield, is if you are having a gun, for example, that's looking for yeah. a target or a drone, if we don't train that accurately, you know, uh, need I say, there's, there's obviously serious ramifications. Uh, yes, yes. I'm just thinking that that's, um, so I'm, I'm going to geek out and just talk about, that's almost like a heads up display giving you the incorrect information. For example, when you're playing COD or something and it says that's, that's an enemy to, and, and you, you shoot the target and then it turns out, oh, actually, hang on a minute. Yeah. Um, and that, that's, you know, I'm, right. I'm, this was what excited me about speaking to you on, on LinkedIn anyway. So yeah. we've, we've kind of just pointed people in the direction of where we're now headed. This, this has huge, well, I mean, we know this anyway, it's, it's got huge ethical ramifications. Right. But there's also something about how do we train a system to be as good as a human being when human beings have errors and biases and judgments and stereotypes and, and they make you know, and this is definitely that Kahneman kind of stuff, you know, the type one, type two errors that we make. And um, yeah, which is probably just, um, I'm just thinking about how I sometimes go off on a tangent. And what I want to say to uh, the listeners is actually, this is about a system that is currently flawed. And that's the human system, let alone the AI, uh, the, the human learning systems, or the, uh, right. however it is that we're 
we're kind of trying to teach technology to do the same as us. Yeah, yeah. So the first, I mean, the first step really is understanding and educating and informing people that technology is not objective. Mm -hmm. It is as biased as the people writing the code and teaching it how to do things. And so once we realize that fact, then we can, step two, we can say, okay, there are actually options to make these algorithms more transparent. Mm. Rather than having it be some magical black box that suddenly pulls up selfies on my iPhone or magically figures out how long this person should be in prison based on their, their arrest history, we can have transparent mechanisms that show us the ways in which these decisions are being made. And that way the computers, we're building a feedback loop. That's all it is. We're building a yeah. feedback loop for the computer to say to us, you taught me this and this is what I'm doing with it. And then so from there, we can start having specific conversations about refining and making sure we're minimizing uh, bias in, in the best way possible. Yeah, I'm, I'm just thinking about this is the, the old, isn't it? The, um, so I want to talk about the argument of logic, isn't it? This is that all swans are white until we find a swan that isn't white. Yes, so, yes, <laughs> yeah. precisely, yeah. precisely. Yeah, I think yeah. one of my, fav my favourite um, parts of the cognitive um, psychology was around um, to which I lost many friends actually was was when we were doing the logic and Bayesian reasoning and so on okay. and, and people were just like okay Kath right you you've geeked out way too much now <laughs> so yeah there is something yeah there is something about we need to be able to see how the thinking process works it's almost like when a maths teacher says to a child okay I see your answer but show me the working out it's, it's that's that's what we need to have isn't it a system where we can we effectively look back and go, okay, how did we come to this decision? And then what do we do with this information? And where, where do we see the, the errors, errors and biases? That is, that is exactly what it is. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's saying we've taught you now show me what you're doing with it. So yeah, precisely, precisely. Yeah. So I'm, I'm just thinking about where, where we got into the, the idea of, um, so with, with, possibly soldiers and so on so i'm just thinking about the ethic because this was what i really really yeah yeah yeah. About. yeah so i mean like you mentioned there's obviously a lot of ethical issues right with mm. with things like having a weapon fire on somebody based on a computer but also raises a lot of interesting philosophical and legal questions so if i am operating let's say if i am physically turning a turret with a camera on it mm -hmm. and i'm doing the turning but it fires by itself now, I mean, I'm not sure why I would be doing the turning, but for the sake of for the yeah. sake of the example, um, if that fires incorrectly, right, and, and you know kills a civilian or kills an incorrect target, right, who is legally responsible? Yeah. What's the standard, right? And we can even abstract philosophically, right? If we want to set you know moral and and uh, physical causation, right. Yes, I, I perhaps was physically responsible for turning the device or loading the device that fired, but was I morally or causally responsible? You know, was I the one that intended that bullet to hit the civilian? No. So sort of on two levels, and you can, you know, you can keep going down, but there's a lot of interesting questions about who's responsible. Do you have agency? What if, do I want to consent to this? What if I don't want to use this weapon? because I don't feel comfortable not having control over the consequences. Yeah. And if we want to get, <coughs> excuse me, get really out there with it and start thinking about um, EEG devices, for example, that we can wear around our heads and, you know, that are now controlling mm -hmm. 
artificial limbs. I don't know. You know I think of James Cameron's avatar with the, with the big suits. But, but um, you know, if we have our brains controlling these other things, again, what does the agency and responsibility look like? If I am with my mind controlling a gun, if that malfunctions, whose fault is that? Or what if I don't want this EEG device controlling my mind and my weapon? What if I don't yeah. like that they're seeing what's going on in my brain? That's a privacy violation. What if I don't want to consent to some untested robotic technology in the battlefield for which I might be legally responsible? So, I mean, you can keep going on and on and on, and yeah. you know, I'll, I'll let you interject here for the sake of me not rambling for an hour, but, but there's just, there's so much there and there's so much to think about and talk about in that regard. Yeah, I, I actually, I think what I will do is I'll, I'll kind of um, be really, um, I'll talk about, I'll talk about, yeah, let's, let's just go with, I'll just be narcissistic for a moment. Um, so I, when, when I was in the army, um, so not only was I the first woman to do my trade, which is the narcissistic bit, um, I actually fixed <laughs> the uh, day, night and laser sighting systems. And I used to say, what, what would happen if I didn't do my job properly on, on fixing these, these items? So for example, the tank laser sights, I, I would be fixing those and I, I would be questioning, um, which apparently is not the thing to do in the army, would be questioning <laughs> other people and saying, okay, whose responsibility is this? Because I'm the one that's making it an accurate weapon system, but the, the person in the tank is the person who presses the button and fires it. And the person who makes the gunpowder over here could be responsible because they've actually made a charge that would send it out, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I, I kind of get this philosophical, who is that, where, where does the responsibility lie? So when, when you were talking, I was like, oh my goodness, it's like you tapped into my head <laughs> when I used to be sat in, in the, the early 90s uh, on, on the, the weapons. So yeah, I kind of get that there is this, this continuous level of where, at which point do we say, okay, this is where the book stops. Uh, yeah, exactly. And, yeah. Exactly. And it's, and it's hard, you know, as, as I discussed before, technology, the this, this, speed of the modern revolution is moving at a pace that is completely unprecedented, right? We've always had technological development. We've always had automation. We've always had worker displacement. We've always had progressive politics that follow economic changes from those, right? On and on and on. So the, you know, the principles are nothing new. This has happened many, many times in human history. What's completely new is the speed at which it's moving and to think back to even 2005, you know, 10, 10 years ago that the iPhone was barely mm. in the world is a mind that Facebook was not really even in use 15 years. I mean, to think in that, how quickly have we come? I mean, I, I went to, uh, I had the, the privilege of visiting Uber's headquarters last summer and they pointed out that they had been around a little over two years. And I thought that was stunning because in my head, especially being here, yeah. we use Uber all the time, you know, being in a, you know, a small city, that was just baffling to me that two years ago, this didn't even exist. Yeah. And yet how immediately do we accept this as the norm? So, so things are moving at such a pace that law cannot keep up. Policy can barely and not really keep up. Education um, can barely keep up, right? I mean, yeah. the conversations that you and I are having, the conversations I'm sure you have at your conferences that I have at mine are way ahead of where the schools will be because the schools and even you know even the university I'm at is still catching up in, in some sense and they're doing a you know making a good effort but it's just the speed of the technology is too much and so for that reason we really need to have these kinds of conversations almost daily yeah. because 
<laughs> I will yeah, say, mm, I will say, just in the con the conferences I go go to, there's hardly any of them that get what I'm talking about because I'm saying, and then there's this, and there's Moore's law, and that means that we're going to be doing this and that and the other, and then yep. no, 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 Kathy, it doesn't. And I'm saying, that, do you do you not understand this stuff is already here? You cannot, uh, and I call it the ostrich syndrome or, or um, blinkers on. There, there is something about. <clears throat> I get told I'm quite scary when I start talking, and, and um, so I, I research something called cyber trauma. And when I run my training, by the end of it, people are looking at me as that. It, it, surely that's not what's happening, Kath. Surely, 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 surely. And and I have to keep saying, uh huh, uh huh. This, mm -hmm. this is still speeding up. Um, and I'm struggling to get my second book written at the moment because each week. I'm now finding another thing that I could put into it. Right. So I'm, right. I'm having to limit myself at the moment and go, okay, there is a part about it. Good enough is good enough. And I've got to get, I've got to get it sorted and done. And, <laughs> but there's also something about, and I will be writing another one shortly because technology is moving that fast. Precisely. It's, it's really just so fast. And, and for that reason, you know, there are obviously, unrealistic images as you and I have, have previously discussed in the media about Terminator robots walking around and killing people. <laughs> yeah. But at the same time, when people like Elon Musk voice concern about artificial intelligence of super intelligence reaching a high level within the next several years, most people laugh. And, and again, I think that just goes back to our point about the speed of things is that if we were moving at a linear pace, that's true. It might be 50 mm -hmm. years before that's on the horizon. <clears throat> yeah. But look how far we've come in the last five years with mobile computing, with machine learning, with, with the permeation of the internet. Quantum yeah. computing is oh. nearly two, three years away, and that's going to exponentialize our computing power. So, yes. so you know, there's a, there's a lot there in and of, its, in and of itself to get into. But, yep. but, but because we move so quickly, it looks like it's just this upward slanted exponential curve on a graph. And, you know, we're going to be fine one day and we're going to wake up the next day and say, what the hell is going on and how do we get here? Uh, yeah, I keep, I keep saying to people um, that, so there's a, the, one of the phrases that I'll sometimes use is no shit, Sherlock. And the other one is shit the bed. And I think that one is, that's what's going to happen. We're going to wake up one morning and just go, oh my God, it's not even going to be worthy of an OMG hashtag. It's going to be beyond that. But I, yeah, I am so, so yeah. with you on this. I think this is why I'm so so excited to have these conversations and I have really, really enjoyed talking to you, Justin. So I'm just going to get that in now. Um, I, it, I, I mean, I love Elon Musk and I'm kind of going, he's got his finger on the pulse and if he's worried, we should be worried. Precisely. <laughs> yeah. He's, he's got, he's got far more information coming into, to, um, yeah, to his, his systems and the people around him. And if he's, you, do you know what I mean? He's already planning on leaving the, the planet. And I'm kind of going. I need to. I need to be on that ship with him because we want to be on that. <laughs> yeah. It's Don't leave almost, me on the on the overheated planet, please. Yeah. No, I, yeah. I, he is leaving a sinking ship, isn't he? Um, I, <laughs> not. <laughs> I've just made it sound all doom and gloom. It's, yeah. 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 So, I I, uh, I sometimes have to remind myself, right? With you know, with with you know, I'm sure you run into the same thing between the focus on the cybersecurity and the policy, and that you know, this sometimes more of the cynicist bent, but, but, but I think honestly that's something that's important and something with technology we need to emphasize more because you look at where, even look out of college or, or the military and stuff like that, where do people go in technology in these fields? It's to companies and that's good, mm. that's a good thing. 
But that said, most people are focused on the good of this stuff. And so there need to be more people thinking about security and privacy and ethics and autonomy and the philosophy of it. And, you know, what effect is this having on education? How is this affecting trauma and, and child development? You know, you need all of these things. And so, yeah, yeah. The cynicism sometimes, I think, is, is a little valuable in this area. But. I, I, I think it's healthy. The only reason I'm saying that is because that's the only way that I think is, is when, when somebody says something, they go, hmm, let me, just, let me just consider that for a minute. Suspicion, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Apparently, I'm not a trust... Well, it's, it's not that I'm not a trustworthy person. I just think, okay, so I, I do say to people, who says? What, 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 what law is that? Where, where's that written down? How, how right. do you know that? Right. Uh, yeah, because I think that's that's the best way to kind of approach this topic because I don't know if it's, um, you know, I don't know if it's a computer trying to tell me something or whether it's a, a, a real opinion from a person. Um, right. And, you know, in, in some of the work that I've done with some of the clients, I've worked with somebody who um, actually turned up uh, and, and had been, if you like, radicalized into being a vegan. Uh, and, and I was kind of going, how did this happen? And it, it turned out it was, again through the machine learning algorithms that they'd been fed uh, literally on, on their social media feed, all of this, if you like, pro well, it wasn't all propaganda, but a lot of it was about, and this is why you need to be looking at this ethically, that ethically. And, and yeah, um, my, my two children talk in the same way as uh, me. So quite often we get into battles um, because they're, they're not just, yeah, they're not just debates. We get into these whole heated and we, you know, we'll go to the internet to prove, right, well, actually this is what I was reading. And then of course it develops into a cynical argument about, well, you can't trust everything anybody says, uh, apart from, <laughs> apart from Elon Musk, we tend to go with him quite a lot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which maybe we should reconsider that, uh, Im implicit trust, but yeah, but. yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Right. Okay. I've just noticed that we've been, we've been chatting for, hang on, what time did we start? About uh, nearly 50 minutes. So. Went by very quickly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Considering that we were supposed to do about half an hour and this is one of the things I've learned. If I say half an hour, we do at least 45, 50 minutes. Now I know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I have really, really enjoyed this conversation, Justin. And um, I'm now, I'm now at the stage where um, if people want to listen and hear more of this, then you know, we'll do another one, two, three, four of these because I, I think there's just so much, it's so much, there's just so much of this stuff and it, does, it doesn't just stop at this one conversation, this is continuous. Exactly, exactly. No, I, this has been fantastic. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Okay, so thank you very much for your time, Justin, and to everybody else, I'm going to do the, um, the, the selling thing. Okay, so you need to write and subscribe to this on iTunes so that other people can find it. Please share it on your social media profiles and uh, sign up to the podcast so that you get the updates because there's going to be lots and lots more information coming out. Um, as I said to you, Justin, I've got somebody else that I'm interviewing um, regarding uh, Donald Trump's recent um, statements and okay. we'll see where we go from there as well. So Great. thank you very much for your time. Thank you. Okay.